Welcome to Healthcare Happenings, a One Digital Employer Advisory Podcast. It's no secret that healthcare is complicated, and to prepare for the road ahead, business leaders need transparency and access to information in order to develop the best health benefit strategy. Our team of compliance leaders are here to shed light on the latest developments on the Hill and share their collective vision for ways to improve the healthcare experience. Welcome back to our Healthcare Happenings podcast. We This week we have um, a really interesting topic. We're going to bring it up again because there's so many new things happening. We're going to talk about mental health parity. So with us today, we do have a guest star. So in addition to all of our regulars, Samantha Molliver, Scott Wham, and Ron Bargazzi, and Annette Bechtold, me, um, we have Sarah Burns today, who's our newest uh, attorney on our team, who brings such a really cool dimension of practice in the healthcare space. And you'll, you'll get to hear some great things from her today and some good advice. And so we want to make this really practical. So let's kind of just start off with what the heck is mental health parity and why do we care about it? So starting first off, mental health parity became um, a requirement for, for plans offering mental and nervous, which is what it was called at the time, mental nervous services. Um, so that would be mental health, substance use, et cetera. In 2008, plans were required to no longer treat that differently than any other medical types of service. So prior to that, uh, we often saw plans that would have one set of benefits for medical treatment and a different set of benefits for your any treatment that had a diagnosis of mental health or substance use. And very often, larger out-of-pockets, more higher um, contributions in, in, for those services, or more limited number of services were applied to those types of service, uh, to the mental, nervous, mental health, substance use over your red, regular medical services. So in 2008, uh, some rules came forward saying, you can't do that anymore. This is, those are health conditions like any other, and you can't discriminate against those. They can't, you can't put in rules that are any more onerous for those, uh, for services rendered for the purpose of mental health or substance use than for any other medical treatment. And so in a nutshell, that's what mental health parity is, means it's equal. Mm -hmm. And so how the plans treat the, the, those services must be the same as for any other medical condition. So in, in that time, they started um, by saying, okay, the quantitative things, the things we can measure, right? So your deductibles, your co-pays, the number of visits, all that stuff has to equal. So plans did a good job and it only applied to larger group plans, 51 or more. So um, that's where we kind of begin. That was the backdrop. So um, I'm going to kind of throw it over to Sam and Sarah, if you want to kind of update. So since then, um, we've had some new rules that have come to, into play. And they said, you know what, that's a good start, but it's not enough. It didn't take it far enough. So, so tell us more about that. Yeah, so I started um, started in private practice in 2012, soon after the Parity, the Parity Act was implemented. And as you said, Annette, you know, at first, the quantitative treatment limitations, they weren't as much of an issue because you can see those. You could look at a plan and you could easily compare, here's how many um, outpatient visits you have per plan year for mental health treatment versus, uh, say, physical therapy. It was easy to make those comparisons. Where things got 
tripped up and where, uh, you know, the everyone is still grappling with is these non-quantitative treatment limitations, those limitations that can't be expressed quantitatively, if that's the word, <laughs> quantitatively. Um, but like how that plays out typically is in these medical necessity guidelines, you know, out of network um, issues. So network adequacy issues, um, you know, that, that sort of thing. Sam, I don't know if you want to add to that. No, I, yeah, quantitative, just thinking of numbers, you know, easily, there's a number to it. And the only thing I wanted to add into it is kind of like, it seems like the DOL has made more of an emphasis on this compliance with mental health parity. So back, I think in October of last year, the DOL had released an updated self-compliance tool. Um, and in there included kind of questions on what an employer could use to see if their plan was complying with mental health parity. Um, and then the other big thing, which was kind of part of our part one, of our healthcare happenings was that the Consolidation Appropriations Act at the end of 2020 did include kind of this uh, audit seeking out 20 kind of uh, where they would the agencies would reach out to certain plans to see hey are you doing this comparative analysis is your plan in compliance with this non-quantitative treatment limitations as described by the mental health parity rules. Yeah, you know what was funny, like uh, Sam, back in October when um, they were they had said, okay, so your plans have to do a little bit better than just the things that you can measure and see. Uh, there are other nuances where you're catching up people. You're you're treating them differently in the in the nuance of how the plan's being operated. And I asked a local DOL, not a, at the federal level, but a state level DOL person, they were a speaker at a conference. And so I went up to him and I said, how are you doing this? Are you, are, are you guys looking into this? Like, how are you auditing or what? And her response to me was, you know what? We don't really know what to do with that. Um, we, I, I think you would have to call my supervisor because I don't, we're not actively doing anything and we're not really sure what to do. So, so I think you're right. This, the consolidated appropriations act said, Oh, we have these rules. Everybody's sort of in a tizzy about how, what am I supposed to do with the rules? And I don't get it. And so let's just go start looking at plans and see if they're complying, you know? So what is the compliance? What is it that employers or health plans supposed to be doing right now when it comes to this, these non-measurable type of plan attributes? Um, so what came out kind of what was the impetus kind of, of us bringing up this podcast was that on April 2nd, the tri-agencies released a set of FAQs and that provides guidance on what is being sought out due to the Consolidation Appropriation Act. And I think there was nine FAQs in there that really goes into kind of what you should be asking or what you should be looking for to show that your plan is in compliance, kind of doing that comparative analysis that it's requiring. Yeah. So, um, you know, Scott, and I'm going to throw it back to Scott and, and Ron about thinking about this from a plan perspective, like what where are employers on this? <coughs> I don't think they, <clears throat> frankly, have the capacity to make these assessments because you have issues like, for example, clinical uh, efficacy. In other words, a, a treatment modality for mental health can be very different than it can for surgical, medical, or something like that. So, so the the issue then becomes: are the proper clinical guidelines in place uh, to monitor the treatment modalities that are different from? appearance of parity. And so I, 
I just think it's something that you have to rely on the carrier to do. But with that said, I think we heard earlier from Scott and Sarah that uh, you still have to make an effort. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think the average um, employers that we tend to work with at One Digital are in are either fully insured uh, under 500 employees or self-insured generally under a couple thousand employees. We do have some larger clients that exceed that, but um, our, our our wheelhouse tends to be that that mid-market employer and that small business. Um, and the reality is, when you're when you are are in those market segments. Um, to draw juxtaposition between those clients and say a, a Comcast or an Amazon, you know, that has hundreds of thousands of employees is that you're, you're going to need to rely on carriers, carrier partners to take on a modicum of liability for complying with, with mental health parity generally, and as well as a, a variety of other coverage mandates that would apply to a plan. Um, simply because in, in employers, you know, small businesses have other things to do. <laughs> they have, they have a lot of uh, concerns on their plates and, and, uh, and, and honestly, you need to get some of that, some of that off your plate um, uh, in order when you're offering the health plan. But the re- the other piece of the puzzle is that from an efficiency perspective, carriers aren't really interested in negotiating coverages with uh, every single small business that's out there and every single, uh, even, even, you know, some of the smaller self-funded employers. Um, a lot of times you're relying on the third-party administrator to, to bundle that for you. Um, and, and the, the ability to negotiate is not always there just based on size and, and scale. So, from keeping that in mind, if you leave this this podcast with one thing in your mind, it's it's just going to be to ask the question of your vendor partner that you're working with. So, if you're working with a fully insured carrier uh, to offer a, a health insurance product, um, you and your one digital consultant can certainly make outreach to that carrier partner to just confirm that hey, you're aware of this regulation. Uh, uh, can you just give me a heads up as to you know whether you're you're ready? Should the, the Department of labor want to come take a look at our plan um, and try to get that in writing to the extent possible. Make that outreach, create that audit trail, should show good faith in, in, in that effort and document that good faith effort. And, uh, you know, in the market segments that we work in, Sarah, unless you, you know, unless you disagree, I think that that's uh, really the best that they, uh, that they can do right now with this regulation. No, absolutely. I mean, the comparative analysis is really complicated. It's been, what, 12 years, 13 years since the law was passed and the courts are grappling with this. You know, the landmark case was Witt versus United Behavioral Health. Um, if you look at that case, which where the court examined the medical necessity guidelines, which is really typically a main non-quantitative treatment limitation, um, they took 10 days of expert testimony to figure that out. 10 days of expert testimony. And the decision is, I think, over 100 pages long. And yeah. I mean, what the court came out with is, um, you know, it's not these UBH's guidelines, medical assessment guidelines are not uh, clinically supported. So th- there's a focus on, you know, acute symptoms, or there's a focus on crisis stabilization. And that's, that's inappropriate. And there's the same uh, that same limitation is not is not present on the medical side. So it's a it's a data issue, right? Uh, who has this information? But then it's also an expertise issue. You would need you know medical experts who know what the standard of care is to treat all of these conditions. 
I think that's, uh, Sarah, that's so, such an awesome um, perspective because I'm sitting here thinking of myself as a business owner going, isn't that why I, I purchased insurance in the first place? So I like, I don't do this. This is not what I do. This is not what I understand. Isn't that your job, right? So, and back to what you were saying, Scott. So, what is it I'm supposed to be doing? And it is overly complicated. Mm-hmm. People in this business that I've been talking to, whether it's vendors or, or actuaries or whoever it is, they're like, uh, we've got a lot of questions too, right? So, it's not as simple. Yeah, no, I think Sharon made a good point earlier, which is uh, this ideal that there is a standard of care. There is no best practice. They're very driven by regional methodologies and things like that. So so the carrier has got to make good, solid judgments. And that's what you want to know. Are they doing that? Yeah, that, and I think that that's such a great point, Ron, that the thing I think about that I, I, at the very beginning that I started to go, who and how how is this going to happen? Like, who's going to make these decisions? Was when I started thinking about uh, what you one of the original ones you named Sarah, which was this network adequacy idea. Network adequacy, what does that mean? And having parity between your medical community providers and your substance use mental nervous providers, there's not even they're not even in the same realm of quantity the number that are even available in a geographic area. Most of them are not in networks because they don't need to be part of a network because they have plenty of patients without having a network. You know what I mean? So there's all of these different components that add such a complexity to how would you even decide there is what's what's adequate? Yeah, I mean, it always comes down to comparing apples to oranges, right? Yeah. Like you have to kind of decide like what is the equivalent, um, what is the equivalent treatment or service on, on the medical side? So and even for an exclusion, which you would think would be easy to assess, still difficult. So, you know, let's say on the mental health side, you have um, applied behavioral analysis for autism that's excluded. Looking on the medical side, like what is the compared comparable treatment? I mean, I don't know. So you have, you have to compare the exclusions and think, um, what is that? Is that in parity? But What's tricky is that you have to go beyond the actual plan exclusions in the document and look into how they got to the, the choice of making those exclusions. On the medical side, say they exclude acupuncture, or well, why? You know, on the ABA side, look at all these studies that show that it's a supported, effective treatment. Um, you know, is how are they deciding to to exclude acupuncture? Is it the same or is it a comparable analysis? It's still tough, and it's still just a situation where you don't have uh, have the data or have the expertise. And Sarah, well, you, you, you brought up you brought up earlier some issues about if I'm a group, what are some red flag things to look at that I might need to make a little bit better effort than most to do things because. I've had situations before, you mentioned autism, where there are providers out there that will uh, give them treatments that that have no medical efficacy background, but the individual, like the adult parent, mm-hmm. wants them to have that. And so they start telling the, the healthcare people or the plan sponsor, this should be covered. And then that's when the complaints begin. 
Yes, I mean, obviously the plan terms govern, but the question is, how did they get to that exclusion, right? But red flags, I mean, I would say looking at your plan and scrutinizing those exclusions and figuring out why and asking why are they there? Because, you know, you may have, you may have members who file those claims and you want to be able to anticipate what issues they're going to run into. I also or if you've had multiple uh, complaints. I also wonder about the complexity or the added um, component of state law as it affects your smaller employer plans. State laws mandate certain treatment for certain things and not for others. How does that play into this whole um, parity piece? If the state's dictating something, does that automatically assume that there's parity? Maybe it's dictating something in a way that is not does not really satisfy parity. So I, I find I find that fascinating as well. Yeah, like I know, for example, in Massachusetts, under the, the state parity law, um, they require insurers to cover autism. That's not the same in the federal parity law. Right. So the well, you know, you run into a risk of preemption issues if you're looking at the plan in this case they're they are regulating the insurer and the insurer has to provide that benefit for, for autism yeah so it, it it is a can of forms so if we leave our our clients and our people our plan sponsors with what are the top three things they should be doing right now i mean i think at a minimum you know as scott said asking the question Asking the question, and you can look to the to the department's FAQ. It's a great place to start. Um, and I think if you want to go further, if you have members who are complaining, or it's just something that you know you're interested in, then you can look to asking further questions. And I would say that those should be targeted on how these benefits are paid or denied, you know, as it plays out. So um, I would suggest asking for sample denials on both sides, medical necessity denials, because you know in in my previous practice, what what would happen is we would have uh, a client who was denied a claim. And at that point, you would request the parity documents. Often, they wouldn't respond. They were so focused on the medical necessity. Um, and so to, under, to, to get that parity documentation ahead of time um, and really scrutinize why the plan is denying certain benefits and in what ways, um, that's something that they can do at this point. Any other thoughts from anybody else? Uh, things that you advice you would give? I mean, I would just, yeah, kind of echoing what Sarah's saying, go ahead and do that because I know in the FAQ, they specifically said that just a general statement of compliance coupled with conclusionary references to broadly stated processes, strategies, evidentiary standards, or other factors is insufficient to meet the statutory requirement. So you need to be going out and asking those questions. They may not respond. I think, Sarah, you said in your prior practice, even as a litigator, you wouldn't get responses back. But kind of that's documenting that good faith effort to try and comply with the law. So really taking this FAQ and saying, Sending a letter to your carrier, to your third-party administrator, whoever is who works on your plan, tell me how our plan is meeting all of these things, and 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 having that audit trail and sending a couple follow-ups if you're not getting a response, will that be a good first steps for most people? Yeah, I think definitely, definitely. Just asking the question and then keep keep following up, and then say, you know. We've done everything we can do. We don't have the data. We don't have the information. We rely on the carriers. 
Yeah, you know, this is, um, and Ron, I think you and I were talking earlier, um, there are third parties emerging, a bunch of people saying, ooh, let me help you with this. Let me do your testing. Like, what's our advice to folks who are being approached by um, individuals or vendors that are offering those services? Well, I think Scott emphasized this the most, even if they said you're not meeting it, I mean, at least knowing it. But now you've got the issue of, is a carrier going to change their processing behaviors for a single group of even a thousand or two thousand? So, so you've got this, it, it's a paradox because even if you question it, can you fix it? So the devil you know versus the devil you don't know, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, but you got to be cognizant of Sarah's story about uh, uh, about the case and the number of expert witnesses that were presented in the amount of testimony that they took. Um, I feel like this is an area that is fraught with reasonable minds can differ. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, and, and different lawyers, different opinions, you know. So, yeah. um, so I, I think that ultimately, you know, having a, having a third party who who steps in and and uh, tries to go go to war with the practices of a a major carrier in your region or even a major national carrier is probably likely to be a, a bit of a, a quixotic endeavor, um, uh, to put it mildly. Uh, but uh, you know. Look, we'll we'll see what develops, and obviously, this is something that our team tracks at One Digital. We 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 pay attention to emerging vendors, and if we need to establish relationships, I'm sure that we will. But I think I think everybody's taking these first steps in our book of business right now. Contact a carrier, contact your TPA, make sure that this is on their radar, and and feel free. I'm you know I'm saying this as if I'm saying telling the employer to do this. Feel free to tie in your One Digital consultant. They are more than happy to help you facilitate this conversation. But but. Maybe making sure you, you make that outreach. So you, you at least start there. If it becomes, if it comes to be uh, the case that there are highly credible vendors out there that we need to be taking a look at, we absolutely will be, be tracking that. I was going to say, if you want to stay tuned, I suspect one day we'll be having this same discussion around issues of custodial care. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, interesting. We've okay. got lots more, lots more. Uh, there's never a, um, there's never nothing to talk about. <laughs> we have plenty of material and uh, there's lots to, lots more to come, but hopefully we can provide you with a couple of the quick steps of the things that you can do today um, as a lot of these things develop over time. But thanks all for your time today. Thanks for uh, Sarah for joining us. It was great having you. And uh your expertise and look forward to having you back on the show. Thanks everyone. And thank you all for tuning in. Staying on top of compliance today can be the source of great concern and frustration. Our dedicated team of attorneys and experts look around the corner on your behalf and deliver the tools, education, and resources needed to help you plan for the future and protect your employees in business every day. You can access additional resources, employer advisory sessions, and podcasts on our website, onedigital.com. Stay safe and healthy, and we'll see you next time.